0: to others as you would have them do unto you. Or you could say, treat people the way you want to be treated. You could also say, don't do to someone else what you don't want done back to you. I think probably all of us, uh, if I look around and and I think it's I think it's just home folk today, I think all of us know this truth and probably were taught this from the smallest, from young ages. Really this ethic uh, stands outside of church uh, circles, and, and I think may, may be viewed by some as more common sense than even just Christian. People like this might claim that this is just how any decent person is going to try to live their life, right? You to others what you want them to do to you, and I think we all agree if everybody would do to others what you want done to you, things would be a lot better than they are right now. The golden rule, as it was called, I think it was First named that in the early 17th century or versions of it are actually found within uh, the teachings of many different religions, not just Christianity. But the truth here that is is taught is, is really quite simple. What Jesus what Jesus gives to us here and to get a complete sense of what Jesus means in verse number 12 it's helpful for us to interpret this verse in the light of Jesus' previous teachings. Really, that helps us with any verse. To understand any verse, it helps us to go back and and figure out the context of what Jesus is teaching here. As we put verse 12 in the context of Jesus' entire sermon, we see firstly that it is a summary of the previous uh, 11 verses when he began with uh, don't judge, lest you be judged, and the judgment that you judge will be measured out to you and and then casting your pearls before swine and, and it kind of summarizes there, which is why we see at the very beginning of verse twelve he says, therefore, because of all this now uh, here is here is the, the the summary of that, but we can also see it as a bookend because of the way that the verse ends when it says, This is the law and the prophets it's similar to what Jesus began all the way back in chapter five verse seventeen, remember when he said i've not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it uh, and he says and he uses the phrasing there the law and the prophets and so we see at the beginning and at the end there and so really he concludes what was the entire sermon on the mount not just these last few verses so if you've been here for uh from at least a few of the other weeks or every week um, that we began in chapter 5 on two verse 7 hopefully some of the things that we've discussed through those through those verses will begin to make a little bit more sense as we uh, look at them through the lens of Matthew 7 and verse number 12. Now, the truth taught here isn't really that difficult to grasp. If all I wanted you to do was to understand what the truth is, we would be, be done already and we would be on our way home because it's really not that difficult. It's very plain and simple. And sometimes I even, when, I, when I'm looking ahead into my uh, sermon preparation, I look at the verses like this and I think, how in the world do you preach for 30 minutes on that? I mean, without going for 29 extra minutes that you don't need to, because it's so simple, it's so there. But if you've ever tried to live this out, then I think you would agree that though the concept is easy, the practice part is what's difficult. Doing what is taught here is what's difficult. In other words, it's easier said than done. But as its name implies, the golden rule, it is a rule. It is a command that God gives us. And as a command, it is important that we obey it. So this morning, I don't think that I need to try to teach you what this means as much as take a few uh, statements and try to highlight some of the, the implications of this verse. So if you're following along your notes, you'll see there uh five important elements of the, of the golden rule. Let's look at them together. Firstly, Jesus' command is all-encompassing. And we see it as we read through the language there, therefore, all things, whatsoever ye would do, you would that men should do to you. This is, it means it applies to everyone in everything and for every day. Jesus said in everything or in, in whatever way you want to be treated, treat others that way. Uh, this, this command is for everyone in, In two ways. First, in that it pertains to each and every one of us. No Christian is exempt. No exclusions apply. Uh, But also, this command is is for everyone because it defines who is to be treated this way. In whatsoever way you want to be treated, do it to everybody else. It's, It's for everyone. Just as no one is excluded from obeying this command, everybody is included in the way uh, in this particular treatment that means christians and non-christians alike who am i supposed to treat this way everybody who is supposed to act this way all christians this is for you if you're a christian and how are you and to whom do you apply this treatment everybody you come across whatsoever things you would that men would do to you do ye even so to them the present tense of the action here or, or reminds us that this commandment applies each and every day. These are not one, this is not a one-time thing. Well, yesterday I was a good, I did my good deed for the day. You ever hear people say that? I did my good deed for the day. Well, technically we're supposed to do good deeds all day, every day. We're supposed to treat everybody the way we want to be treated all day, every day. No exclusions apply. Secondly, Jesus' command, if you're following there, is not teaching us to treat people as they deserve to be treated. Pastor Sears mentioned this in the prayer, that this is not telling us that uh, we should treat people the way that they should be treated. So that means treat the good people good and treat the nice people nicely and treat the bad people badly. It doesn't say that. If we treated people the way that we think they deserve to be treated, you know what would happen? Today, we'd be great with people. We'd love each other. We'd bless one another. And tomorrow, we'd hate and curse each other because we'd all offend because we all do things that, uh, that offend one another. Uh, James wrote that in many ways, in, 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 in many areas, we offend all. And in, in, uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 130 that if God were to keep a record of sins, who could stand? And while sin is, is all sin against God, it's all disobedience to God, much of the sin that you and I are guilty of is things that we do to one another. A lot of the sin, more than more than half of the 10 commandments have to do with my relationship with other people. And so although 100% of my sin is disobedience to God, most of the sin that we commit are sins that we commit to one another. And so uh, that's 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 how it is for all of us every single one of us sin against each other and we offend each other we hurt each other's feelings we rub each other the wrong way however you want to say it we all do it to each other and if we treated everybody the way we were to be treated this morning some of us wouldn't be here we would and uh, some of us would be in jail for the things that we did to the rest of us because uh we don't deserve uh, we don't always deserve good treatment but that's not what Jesus tells us here there uh, I like this uh, quote that I read I read from John Calvin. He said that men knowingly and willingly trample justice under their feet while every man uh, rigidly demands that it be maintained towards himself. thought about that. And, you know, when it comes to the way that people treat us, when it comes to the way that people treat me, I am very clear on how I expect you to treat me. I want you to love me. I want you to like me. I want you to laugh at my jokes. I want you to do things for me. I want you to remember and things that are important to me. I don't want you to do things that irritate me. And you're the same way. We are all very clear on how we like to be treated. What is a little bit unclear sometimes is the best way to treat other people. And and But though I am unsure of the best way to treat other people, I am always definitely clear on how I want to be treated. And Jesus says, well, just treat everybody that way. Don't worry about how they should be treated. Worry about how they will be treated based on how you want to be treated. Jesus said, this is, this is how we live our life. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, that's what you should do to other people. And this is very helpful because we've just been reading that we judge unfairly. And although we judge unfairly, there are those whom we must recognize as unworthy or un, unreceptive to our certain treasures. And so, I'm supposed to not judge lest I be judged and I'm also supposed to have discernment and to know who not to give my pearls to and who not to cast what it to give what is holy to but at the same time he says here's how you can figure out how to treat these people also those first five verses of, of chapter seven remind me that I have the tendency to go overboard in my judgment right I withhold and I go even more I I I don't cast my pearls before swine and I take it even further. I I judge and I go way beyond what is necessary in, in trying what I consider helping somebody else. But also those first five verses remind me that I too am guilty of judgment. Remember how big my brother's issue is in his eye compared to the eye problem that I have? And Jesus used some hyperbole here to remind me that a lot of times my issues are much bigger than yours are. Yours are much bigger than mine are. And if we, were to, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, it would, it would show us that we are guilty of judgment. And so what verse number 12 does is it brings us a healthy balance. It, brings us, it gives us clear direction on how we are to behave. There's so many different, what on the surface might be confused as contradictory uh, instructions here. Verse 12 gives us a very clear-cut way. How do I treat people? What do I do? we must not treat others how they deserve, but how we would like to be treated. That means in judgment, we must judge the way we want to be judged. When we correct somebody, we correct the way that we would like to be corrected. When we forgive, we forgive the way we want to be forgiven. When we show mercy, when we show love, when we show kindness, whatever you want people to do to you, do it to them that way thirdly we need to recognize that jesus's command is a positive action i mentioned earlier that this ethical behavior is found within many different religions but what's common though if you read through them uh, that you'd see it in a negative or in a passive form meaning a lot of times it shows up as don't do to people what you don't want done to you you see how it's negative in that way it's not the positive "do unto others it's don't do what you don't want done to you but uh, one writer, wrote, uh, Robert Mounts, wrote this. In its negative form, the golden rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. The positive form moves us to action on behalf of others. For instance, So so simply put, if this command were a negative command, don't do to others what you don't want done to you, then we could obey simply by doing nothing. All I've got to do is leave you alone, and I've, and I've fulfilled the great command. I've fulfilled this, this commandment of, of the golden rule. But that's not what Jesus says. Take, for instance, Jesus' example of the Good Samaritan. Remember that parable? The priest and the Levite who passed on, they didn't hurt the man. They didn't do anything bad to the man, but they didn't help him. They weren't the ones who robbed him, but they weren't the ones who came to his aid either. The hero of that story was the Samaritan. And he was the one who actually did something to help the the wounded traveler. And Jesus' command here is not just stressing the importance of the absence of evil, but also the presence of that which is good. Now, we have to be aware that this is potentially going to be a one-sided behavior. Uh, The Samaritan here in the story, he had no guarantee, firstly, that the man would appreciate all he had done for him. And he had no guarantee that should the roles reverse, he would be treated the same way by whom we can assume is a Jewish, was a Jewish traveler. And the good Samaritan knew these things, and yet he, would, he still was willing to help. Now, we always assume that the traveler was a Jew, and I don't, I don't think that that's a, a far stretch to, to feel that way, that to show that the, the extreme, uh, uh, the extreme uh, measure of help that he offered, a Samaritan offering a Jew... Uh, But if if the man was a Jew in the story, the Good Samaritan would have known this and known that he had an extreme dislike of all things Samaritan. And yet, despite that, despite the fact that he might not receive appreciation, despite the fact that he might not get what he gave, he still offered his help. And Jesus tells us this. He doesn't say, don't do to others so that they will do to you. The fact Jesus makes no mention in verse number twelve or in any of the, uh, the couple of verses around us how others are going to respond to me when I behave this way, but He has given us a clue uh, in a few verses earlier on how we can expect to be treated. What's the type of treatment that we can anticipate when we follow verse number twelve? Well, back in chapter five, Jesus said that we can expect to be persecuted for our righteousness' sake. He told people, He told us that people are going to revile us. They're going to slander us. They're going to persecute us as we try to make peace with them. As we pray for them, they're going to attack us. There are those, he said in verse 39, who are going to slap us on the cheek, right? And we know that the, the, the teaching is to turn the other cheek. And do you know why it's so difficult to turn the other cheek? Because of the real danger that they're going to slap that one too. We don't want to do those things. It, 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 it fights against us, and we know these things. People are going to take advantage of our generosity and our kindness and our mercy, and they're going to mistake it for weakness. Earlier, Jesus told us to love both of our neighbors and both our uh, uh, both our neighbors and our enemies. We are to uh, do good, show kindness, be generous to all people, not just the ones that we love, but to everybody, and not so that we will receive it back from them. But as Jesus said, so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. Very simply put, we do this because this is how God's children are supposed to act. This is how God expects his children to behave. Verse number 12 is an indication of the children of God's behavior. Now imagine a world, if you will, in which everybody did what you wanted them to do. It's Father's Day, and so so some of us, uh, you can... You know, you get a little bit extra spoiled on that day. Uh, Mother's Day is a little bit more of a difference from the normal routine, right? Because uh, dads, we usually get a lot of stuff done for us anyways. But uh, imagine if, if you woke up to a world in which everybody did it the way you wanted it done. That means that everybody was nice to you. Everybody cut you some slack. Everybody gave you the benefit of the doubt. People helped you when you needed it and gave to you when you were without. They loved you unconditionally and did their dead-level best to get along with you. They made every attempt to reconcile with you when there was any division. Now imagine what the world would be like if everybody treated you the way you wanted to be treated. Jesus said, now go make that world a reality for somebody else. In fact, go and do it for everybody everybody else i mean it's not too difficult to imagine what it would be like if everybody did it the way you if everybody treated you the way you want to be treated that's not difficult to imagine what's difficult to do is to go and do that for somebody else treat those around you as you want to be treated be as kind to folks as you would want them to be to you not because this is a promise that you're going to receive kindness back but because jesus commands it and it's because it's how god's children behave but also we see at the end of the verse there's another reason Why we are to act this way. He says that to do to others as you would do to do to uh, do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets or because this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this sums up the entire Old Testament. The law, as many of you know, is uh, probably all of you know is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis to Deuteronomy. Moses was the one recognized by Israel as giving them God's law, and so whenever the Bible talks about Moses uh, as as a, as not as the man, but as 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 giving you Moses or obey Moses, it's talking about what Moses taught us in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And the law is the rest of the Old Testament, the writings of men like Joel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and many others. And so when we read about the law and the prophets, we're talking about what we understand as the Old Testament. Okay, now they, you know, they, that was the only testament they had then, so they didn't talk about the new or the old, they just had the testament, and they called it the law and the prophets. And so, Jesus says that when we fulfill this command, we are actually fulfilling the entire Old Testament. This golden rule isn't really anything new that Jesus is presenting, and that's what he's trying to get across to them. This is not new with Christ. This is not the first time they're hearing this ethic taught to them. Because back in Matthew 5.17, remember the other part of that bookend where Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He reminds the people there that the Old Testament spoke of him and he was there to fulfill them. They looked forward to him and told that he was coming. And when he came, he fulfilled back. He was the bookend to that, to the, to the law there. And Jesus' teaching goes all the way back to God's laws. We can go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19, when Moses wrote, Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Later on in the same chapter, he wrote it again in a different way. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When asked in Matthew 22 about what the greatest commandment in the whole law is, you know, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. That's quoting from the law. That's Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. But Jesus was asked, what's the greatest? And he told the man that. And then he said, and the second is like unto it. And when he quoted that one, he was quoting back from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love him the way you love yourself. And then he finished by saying, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is... That everything else in the entire Old Testament depends on these two commands, loving God and loving your neighbor. Let's take the Ten Commandments, for example. The first four commands of the Big Ten, as we can call them, are uh, dealing with my relationship with God. And if I love God the way that I'm supposed to, I won't have any idols I won't have any other gods before him. I will remember the Sabbath day and honor him and respect it by keeping it holy. I won't take God's name in vain. Now, the other six have to deal with my relationship with other people. And if I love my neighbor as myself, I won't kill him. I won't steal from him. I won't uh, lie to him. I won't steal his wife or his ox or his, his donkey or whatever. I'm going to love him the way I love myself and treat him the way I want to be treated. We fast forward to where we've been for the last several weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Even by looking looking at what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, we can see that obeying what Jesus teaches here also takes care of what God teaches us in the Old Testament. We can also obey God's laws by obeying what Jesus commands here. Remember Jesus said, it's not enough to not murder. You also should not hate or curse your brother." He says that uh, uh, adultery is more than just the outward act, but it's also the secret desires of the heart. And when I obey Christ the way He instructs me to in the Sermon on the Mount, I am also fulfilling what the Old Testament, what God's law teaches me there. And Jesus taught that we can avoid stealing and coveting by being generous givers, going above what is required. Remember what He said about oaths? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And by simply saying, Yes or no, my neighbors can depend on me to always tell the truth. So what Jesus is telling us here in this verse is to seek our neighbor's greatest good. Seek your neighbor's greatest good. By loving God supremely and loving others equally, all the rest of God's commandments are taken care of. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that's in Romans 13, verses 8-10. through 10. But finally, as we come to this realization of the implications of this golden rule we recognize the final aspect of it, and that is this loving my neighbor and loving god as uh, how loving my neighbor and loving god fulfills the law it also helps me to realize that this command is going to need i'm going to need some help i need divine assistance the business of loving everybody and showing good in every way and treating people exactly as i wish to be treated is not normal I hope you figure that out by now. You don't do that naturally. You don't like to serve other people and treat them the way you want. We naturally take care of me. And then if it benefits me, I'll take care of you. But that's that's how we are in our, in our normal state. And this is what Jesus is, is, is reminding us here. We require supernatural help. Remember, I, I, I shared with you the quote from Robert Mounts. He said, in its negative form, the golden rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. And if this was what Jesus really did require of us, is this? if this is all that Jesus required of us, then there might be a chance that we could satisfy it by maybe going and living up at the top of a mountain and isolating ourselves and being a hermit and never taking the chance at offending anybody or doing anything to to anybody that I don't want done to me. And maybe then I could say, okay, I've satisfied the golden rule. But if we really think through that and we're honest with ourselves, Uh, We don't have a good track record at following even the simplest commands, do we? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had one rule. Don't eat that piece of fruit. And they still couldn't do it. They still failed. The truth is, if all we had to do was not do what others don't want us to do to them, we probably would still fail. But as we recognize here, Christ's command is more than the absence of evil. It requires positive action. Craig Blomberg added on to Mount's statement when he wrote, Jesus' positive phrasing does remind us of the principle that we can never fully carry out Christ's commands. Jesus calls us here to be universal and constant do-gooders. Yeah, we can do it once in a while. I can do my good deed for the day, right? And I can feel good about myself, but what if I'm going to follow Jesus' command here, I need to do it every day, all day, to everybody. It doesn't take a deep meditation of the truth here to even realize how impossible this is to do it on my own. Even as believers in Christ, we need God's help to obey His Word. The further along the Christian journey that I get, the more I realize that I am just as incapable of pleasing God now on my own as I was before I came to Christ. Of course I couldn't please Christ on my own. I was far from Him. But even now I'm in Christ and I still on my own cannot please God. And that's the whole purpose of the law. And that's the whole reason that the law was given. It points us to Christ. It shows us our inability to perfectly obey or please God. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 7.13, it teaches us that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. uh, The law was designed to expose just how sinful we really are and how unable we are to please God. Paul later describes the law as like a guardian, a schoolmaster, which was intended to keep us until Christ redeemed us. In other words, the law was given to drive us to Christ. In our despair, as we recognize how helpless we are, we fall under the weight of keeping God's laws perfectly. We can't do it. And so we cry out for a Savior, someone who can perfectly obey God for us. That's Jesus. He is our substitute because He did what we cannot do. But now, even though those of us who are in Christ, we still need the same grace and help in order to live lives that please God. The difference between those of us who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ is that we have His righteousness given to us. We have His Spirit given to us who enables us to live in ways that please God. And it is only by His power that we can now live in ways that please Him. It's only because we are in Christ that we find the strength and the ability to treat people not how they deserve, but how we want to be treated. Many of you are familiar with the man named Dave Ramsey. For many years, he's had a radio show, and he's he's offered uh, financial advice and coaching to people uh, and to his listeners. And people can call in and ask him questions. And if you've ever listened to his show, uh, you probably caught uh, this little phrase that he's kind of become known for. Whenever a caller asks him, "How you doing, Dave?" he always answers the same way: "Better than I deserve." He always answers it, he always answers that way. Not fine, fantastic. I'm good. How are you? It's always Better than I deserve. What does that mean? Better than I deserve. Well, for a Christian, for someone who recognizes his sinful nature and realizes his true standing before God knows that God's just judgment and eternal condemnation is what we deserve. But when we come to Christ, we find in him forgiveness, forgiveness, Holiness, redemption, cleansing, grace, mercy, love, hope. And Christians who remember who they are know that every day God treats us better than we deserve. Everything that we get from God is better than what we deserve. You ever heard someone, you deserve more? Actually, according to the Bible, you deserve hell. That's what, that's' what we deserve. What do you, you deserve a break? No. <laughs> if you get a break, you got a bunch of grace, and yet everything God gives us every day is better than we deserve. And he's our model here. God was and continues to be merciful to us. in our filth in our, in our rebellion. God did not give us what we deserve. He gave Christ what we deserve. And He gave us and showed us grace. No one gets mercy because they deserve it. And no one gets grace because they earn it. In fact, the very meaning of grace is that you don't earn it or deserve it. Yet day after day, we experience God's grace, His blessing, His love, His favor, and we realize and each and every day He does far more for us than we deserve. See, God treats us so well that we've really come to expect it. We've really come to rely on it. and We, we count on Him for His faithfulness. We rely on His promises. We rely on His dependability and his, his goodness and His steadfastness. And so I wonder, as His people, are we treating others the same way? Can people count on us to be kind? Can our neighbors depend on us to be loyal, steadfast, merciful? Do the people that I work with rely on me to be fair and honest? Because I think that everybody knows this is the best way to live. But it's really not how the world works, is it? If you work out in the world or if you've ever gone out somewhere where there's people who aren't perfect, which is everywhere, I think it doesn't take long to realize people don't act this way. The world's philosophy is, if I can get away with it, I'll do it. If it helps me, that's what I'm going to do. And I look out for me and mine, and so stay out of my way. And the only time that we will help other people naturally is when there's something in it for us. And it's rare to see people think of others. But it ought not be rare to see Christians act this way. This ought to be the norm. This ought to be the way that Christians behave every day. Because we have seen and continue to see every day how God does not according to what we deserve, but according to His great love. Psalm 103 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. But as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame; He remembers that we are dust. So have we stopped and thought about God's kindness to us? Do we as children of God remember who we were? Who we still are? Have we forgotten how undeserving we are? of His salvation? Or of the gifts that He gives us so lavishly every day? Have we started to believe that we deserve salvation? We deserve to be Christian? That we somehow merited God's favor because of where we're sitting on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock? Because we're not guilty of committing particular sins? It's when I remember who I am And who God is, and how God treats me in spite of me, shows me good when I don't deserve it. That's when I can turn to others and do unto them as I want to be treated. So notice the progression here as we as we conclude. There's a progression here. First, I look to myself, and I ask myself, Well, how is how have I been treated? How do I like being treated? Well, I look at God, God treats me. How how does God treat me? He loves me. He gave Himself for me. He ever lives to intercede on my behalf. He provides more grace than the sin that abounds in me. He offers new mercies every morning. Then I ask myself, well, how do I want to be treated? That's how God treats me. How do I want you to treat me? Well, I want you to be merciful when you correct me. I want you to help me without condemning me. I want you to love me. I want you to not retaliate when I offend you. When I do something against you, I don't want your revenge. I want your forgiveness. I don't want you to lie to me or deceive me. I want you to be honest and open and transparent and real with me. I want you to be faithful to me in my marriage. I want my wife to be faithful. I want my friends to be loyal to me. And in any broken relationship I have, I want you to reconcile with me. I want you to be willing to reach out and restore any broken fellowship that may have occurred. And so then I, with this thought of how I want to be treated, then I look to other people and I try to treat them this way. I try to do this for them. I strive then to be merciful and just in my judgment. Being loved by my father, I then both love my brother and my enemy. When when others offend me, I try not to retaliate. I don't seek revenge. When I'm persecuted, I bless and respond with prayer. I'm open and honest with people, and I don't hide behind a mask of hypocrisy. I'm faithful to my spouse. I respect the institution of marriage as well as the commitment that I have made to God and that woman as well as the commitments that others have made to one another. I seek to restore broken relationships in my life. When there is a rift between myself and another person, I take the first step and I'll reach out and try to reconcile with others. And it only happens in the third progression here. In doing these things, I look to Christ who enables me to live like this. Because I'm not perfect. I still sin. I still need God's mercy and His grace, but I don't need it just for myself. I also need it to offer to you and to those around me. There's nothing in me worth sharing other than Christ. Christ supplies what you need from me and Christ supplies what others need from you. And so, we go to Him, we ask, and we receive what we need. We seek and find the love that we need for others. We knock on the doors opened to us, and there we find the strength and the enabling from our Heavenly Father. It's our Heavenly Father who shows us daily how to love people, and how to do good to those people who don't deserve it. He shows us in the way that He loves us and blesses us, even though we don't deserve it. So then, with my Father's help, I go out into the world and I try to show that same model of love and compassion to everyone around me. But it's only by His grace that I can do unto others as I would have them do unto me.